All right. Worry and fear. They want to up front give a disclaimer. It would be my preference that these were two different workshops, two, two different subjects. But some of it is our limitations are we are a part of ACBC and we're doing 30 hours of training that would enable you, if you choose, to move towards certification. And so I raised my hand and said to them, you guys, like, worry and fear in one workshop. Why can't we? And there's just not space to do it. So what is being done in this workshop is, and there are such similarities between these two struggles, that's what they've done. So when we get to the end and it's fear and we just race through it, I want you to know, not my fault. So a big blame shift here right up, up front. I said, why don't we have two different hours on this? And I've continued to be asked to try to do this together. So that's what's going on. More and more we're living in a world that gives us, here's what you need to understand. Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, don't worry. Don't worry. That's not what's going on when the Bible says don't worry. The world that we live in, and more and more, right? I mean, like, whew, gives us reasons to worry and be anxious and fearful. It's just that God's word gives us better reasons to not, even in the face of this. That's, so you need to feel the tension it's like, there's a way to work on this. Just be unaware of anything that's going on. That would help, right? But it wouldn't be biblical. So it's, it's how do I live on this razor edge of knowing so much that's so bad? And let's acknowledge, there's so much that would give you reason to worry and be anxious and fearful. But just like I was talking about forgiveness, you would never conclude you should forgive just based on your feelings and thoughts. I don't think you'll ever get free from worry or fear just working on this yourself, it's when you go to God's word and you say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But if I'm not in God's word, if I'm not soaking here, if I'm not taking this in, if my mind isn't being renewed, if right here, right now, this world like a magnet has sucked me down and I'm not seeing much of anything bigger than beyond my job, my home, my health, my concerns, then you will worry. I've got to have a bigger picture. I've got to have some, some truth of God's word infused into this. It's the only hope. So let's make sure what we're talking about. Worry defined. Worry, whenever you see it translated in the Bible in English, is usually coming from the Greek word merimnao. That's a combination of two words. Meridzo, to divide, and nous, mind. Isn't that a good picture? Isn't that how you feel when you're worried? So in other words, it really means a divided mind. It's like you're trying to do two things at once. I'm here, I'm working my job, but I'm really thinking about that situation with my son at home that was horrible, but I had to leave for work anyway, and it was not entirely resolved. So I'm working here, but I'm really over there. Or I'm here, but I'm already in a meeting that's going to happen later on tonight, and I'm, and I'm working my way through it, divided Mind. Divided mind. In the Bible, the word is usually translated worry, anxious, care. Worry, anxious, or care are the top English translations for this. And note, it should not be confused with diligent care and concern toward your responsibilities. The answer is not to stop caring. It's like, well, I don't care about anything, so I don't worry. That's a way to do this. It's not a biblical way to do this. 
Because listen to the Apostle Paul. Here's the challenge. To continue to care deeply about people and situations, yet not worry. That can be very hard. In 2 Corinthians 11, every time I read it, as I go through the Bible each year, I'm like, oh, man, yes. And that's that chapter where he's saying, I was beaten by rods so many times. I was stoned so many times. I was shipwrecked so many times. I was naked so many times. I was hungry so many times. I spent a night and day in the deep, da 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 And then he says this, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern, concern, that's the same word, merimnao. So this, just like, just like the word epithumia in the Bible that usually gets translated lust or desires is not automatically sinful. You could have an epithumia that is an appropriate, passionate, godly desire. It's just that often we've got desires that are not godly. You could have a merimnao, an appropriate care and concern about something that isn't sinful. His, his deep concern for all the... And every time I read it, I always think, oh... I have one church. I cannot imagine. And it does weigh on me. I do think about it. I have so many issues, so many situations, so many people. And I just stop and think, oh, my goodness, he had Ephesus and Galatia and Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica. And, oh, dear me. To care and not say, I don't care what happens to them. He cared. He had invested there. He'd raised up elders. He got a church going and then he left and he gets news of how things are going. He cares, but he's not supposed to worry. Philippians 2.20, he says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. It's the same Greek word. Same Greek word. And then in Galatians 4.19, you don't have the word, but I think you have a word picture that captures what God wants from us that you don't want to stop caring. Paul said in Galatians 4, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, this man cares deeply. It's one of the reasons that I love the Apostle Paul. I love him for lots of reasons, but this is one of them because I keep asking God, make me more like him. I want to be like him. He, he didn't start doing ministry and relating to people in a perfunctory, guarded, cautious mechanistic business way because I'm done being hurt. And when you keep caring, it hurts too much, right? It hurts when you care. You get anxious when you actually care. You think about it and perhaps would sin in ways you think about it if you cared. And I watch people in ministry, and you can watch people in... You don't have to be in ministry to see it happen. As life progresses and disappointments continue and hurt happens, there's a temptation to pull back And one of the ways to, quote, feel like you could do better is not care. I'll never forget. And Vicki and I have experienced this. You can experience this in your own home, right? Who who are some of the people we love the most if you're married? Children. And he gave you children. Children, right? Is it good to love your kids? Can it just be one of the most emotional, difficult, upsetting things in the world because you love them so much? And they do what? Dumb things. Life-shattering things. Terrifying things. Would you not do better if you didn't care about them? Yeah. But that's not a good thing. So I watched my wife, especially women more than men. Not that I don't care, but I am a man. More like, that'll be good for him. Give him 
Give him the dignity of risk. Whenever we were kind of debating over, should he jump out of that tree? No. I'm like, give him the dignity of risk. Yeah. Be careful, son. She wants him to stop. I just want him to be careful. All right? Bend your knees when you land. Roll. Don't be stiff. <laughs> just different. So for mothers, more even than the dads, like, oh, oh. And as our two oldest just went, I don't mean for a weekend, folks. I mean for years, from 2005 till at least 2009, we were, we were in a nightmare with my oldest daughter. Just terrifying. I don't mean mouthing off at me. I don't want to give you the details. It wouldn't be appropriate, but just unbelievable. There was a season I don't think I went to bed before 2 a.m. the entire year. Just what is going on? Where is she? What's she done now? Huh. Who's calling? And for Vicky, one of the hardest things was she said it to me one day. If I just could cut myself off and, and say, I'm done. I don't love you anymore. This wouldn't hurt so much. I sat with a couple who, same thing. Their daughter now is like 37. And she had just slandered them greatly at the family reunion beach time. I mean, she's still this old, and she's still doing terrible things, and she was there. And when you have a child like this, you're going to know what I'm about to say. Whenever you see them huddled up with other relatives or anybody, it makes you nervous. What are they saying? (laughs) What are they doing with the younger nieces and nephews? Oh, God, help us. And sure enough, when she saw it all throughout the reunion, when she got back, this woman, who's my age, was cleaning her older mother's house, who's in her 80s. And her mother said, I'm just so concerned about the fact that you beat Sally with a metal rod when she was a little girl. What? Mother. No, we didn't. Oh, that's what Sally told everybody at the beach the whole time we were there. And they'd come in, mainly for this woman. She knew the right answer, but she looked at me and said, Pastor Brad, I think I know the answer, but... Am I allowed to stop loving her? It would help. It wouldn't hurt so much. Right? So can you relate? I told her no. She said, I know. That's what I thought. (laughs) But it hurts because you care. So how do you keep caring and yet not sin? That's the challenge. That's what we're talking about. So the answer isn't don't worry. Be happy. I don't worry a lot because I don't care. I'm in a drug-induced stupor, and I shuffle around in little slippers. And, and someone else does everything for me. Yeah, that's not the answer. Planning that acknowledges God's sovereignty is not worry. So here's also one of those places where you've got to be careful. Sometimes we can be guilty of saying, here's, well, here's how I prove that I don't worry. I don't make any plans. I don't think ahead, because if you start thinking ahead, you'll worry about it. So don't <laughs> take it moment by moment. So godly. So stupid. So this is the challenge. He doesn't condemn the ant. He points us to the ant and says, look how they plan ahead for harvest. Look how they... But it's, it's hard when you start planning and thinking ahead. There's always the possibility that you could go into the land of what if and begin to worry. Go there, make appropriate plans, but don't worry. So planning that acknowledges God's sovereignty is not worry. Worry is an over-anxious concern regarding the future and things that keeps a person from fulfilling current biblical responsibilities. 
That is a very helpful definition because one of the tip-offs that you've moved beyond appropriate concern and care to worry is that it is keeping me now from doing my current responsibilities well. That can be your tip-off. David Pallison, in, in the little booklets that are in the Resource Center, this one is fantastic. This little booklet on worry is fantastic. But let me, let, me, uh, let me tell you a new one that I really, really like. This one's great. If you're just going to buy one, buy this one. But when you're really trying to help somebody with worry, these little booklets like this, you can read in one session, talk about it in one session. Now what are we going to do? Bob Kelman has another one that's called The Cure for Anxiety... The Anatomy of Anxiety, uh, something like that. And it's a middle-sized booklet. This is the little. He has a middle size, and you could get six sessions out of it. I used it in our small group. We discussed it in our small group. It is fabulous with insights about what kind of heart is really feeding worry and anxiousness. So David Pallison has this little booklet, Worry. Bob Kelman has a medium-sized booklet. That's either, it's got the word anxiety on the front, the cure or the anatomy or something like that. David Pallison says this, I think insightful. Central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. Oh, he's helped us already. See, because remember, biblical counseling is not about, stop it. You're worrying. Stop it. Here's a verse that says don't, so don't. Now, memorize that verse. Not very helpful. Now I'm worrying, and I feel bad because I have a Bible verse that says don't, and I'm still See, if you don't help someone understand, no, 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 what's really feeding your worry is you're trying to control. Oh, repent of that. You're trying to be God. So is the illusion that we can control things. If I could only get my retirement right, I could control the future. If I could get my diet and medicine right, I wouldn't get cancer. If I could figure out the right child-rearing technique, I could guarantee how my kids turn out. Mm. And I know it's hard, folks. I've lived it. You know, you get kids and you're just like, man, we want to do this right. It's a scary world we live in. Oh, I don't want them to do the stuff that I did. Oh, I want them to. But there's this sense at which there's got to be this perfect way to do it. And here's what I, I just smile. And Vic and I, now that we're 53, on a regular basis we smile. Because every next generation thinks they've got it. And they all think their parents were doofuses, right? I know, because I'm guilty. Of it. I'm like, here's what I was guilty of. Oh, my parent, my youth group was pathetic. Pathetic. The church we were in and the youth group was pathetic. And my dad just read this sad little devotional like daily bread at breakfast. And like, oh, with us, we're homeschooling. We're doing character cards, beaver, antelope, all that. I mean, we're making it real. We memorize the Sermon on the Mount for Friday night, family nights. We're role-playing how to say no to a cigarette and a beer. I mean, we hit, we're laughing. We don't have the TV in the main room. We're doing it so much better than my parents. And I turned out far better than many of my children. And now I think very highly of my parents. They did a really, really good job. But see, now this next generation, I watch it. We were just homeschool and character cards. And then the next one was like, oh, you guys, no wonder so many of your kids are rebellious. We're doing gospel-centered parenting. We've got hyphenated everything. You didn't have that. So you spank them and share the gospel during the spanking. All you did was spank. That's your problem. It's gospel-centered parenting. We're just, it's the gospel. Uh Uh-huh. Let me know how that turns out. Because 
they're still sinners with dead hearts. Here's what I'm convinced of now. It doesn't matter. It does matter what you do. Peter's giving you some parenting stuff. But no matter what you do and what path you choose, we're going to homeschool, we're going to classical, we're going to Christian school. Oh, no, we're going to classical Christian school. I mean, we're talking Latin and plaid skirts here. No, we're going to, everybody just ups the ante and somehow, no, 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 we have acreage and farm animals and they pull teats and they fix fences. That's the answer. If you can get them working with dad at a home business and if you can get matching dresses and crush your own herbs, baby, they're going to love Jesus. You can see how we just keep turning to something else that we treat it as if that's the formula for kids. I could guarantee how my kids turn out. Worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Oh, this is so good. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. What we, when we can't control something, we worry about it. So insightful and true. So let's answer this question. Okay, Brad, great. You've kind of set this up that there's this fine line. I don't want to stop caring and say, I just don't care about my kids, don't care about people, don't care about the church. Therefore, I won't worry about stuff. I'm supposed to keep leaning in and care, truly care, and yet not slip over here to sinful worry. How do I know when I've gone from biblical appropriate care and concern to sinful worry? Well, let me give you some, some indicators doesn't mean this is, this is a hard, fast definition. Just some tip-offs. Your thoughts are focused on changing the future. You're thinking more about the future than now. And it's changing and controlling the future. Your thoughts are largely around. Your thoughts are unproductive, just caught in a spin cycle going around. And here's, here's what I mean by this. And he gives a great illustration in his little booklet. He talks about that, that widow sock in the dryer that's just, you know, it's in there. Lots of heat. Lots of movement. Not going anywhere. He said, when your thoughts are like that, here I am and I am thinking about this again. No new thoughts, no progress, no insights, just heat, friction, movement, lots of expenditure of energy. You only have so much thought energy and emotional energy. No new ground has been gained. Does that make sense? And here's the other thing. It usually, it grabs you and you go there rather than you choosing to go there. Does that make sense? Rather than you in the daytime, at the kitchen table, after a thoughtful prayer saying, Lord, I want to think this through. And let's make a plan on this issue that is a concern. And you start to work on it. The, the spin cycle usually happens. And let me tell you when it happens for me. After I've used the bathroom at night. So I'm of that blessed age that we're not making it through the night without pottying. I would love it to be once. Sometimes it's twice. Yea, verily three times. It's like, oh, dear me. Once is a good night. But even then, it's like, I don't mind using the bathroom. It's what happens afterwards. And I try to pretend I never woke up. You know, try to go in there. Whatever I was dreaming, I'm still there. We're charging the hill. I have an automatic weapon in my hand and we're winning. We're still charging the hill. And then my body says, no, you're not. You're awake. So start thinking about, I kid you not, I've never had my thoughts go to a happy place, right? Why don't you just revisit your daughter's wedding, how wonderful that, no, no, no. Whatever your greatest, scariest, most uncertain, unsettling concern is right now, 
Think about that now. Oh, so hard. So at night, often, that you've got this moment and, and it's a fight and it's not productive. Number three, it controls you instead of you controlling it. Number four, it causes you to, to, to neglect your God-given responsibilities and relationships. That is one of the biggest tip-offs. So, for instance, if you, if, if you want to hear, see this fleshed out a little better. If there's something remote or this just a possibility that is so much consuming your best energies and thoughts that you're failing in the day-to-day right now, the things that are right now you need to do and you need to do them well, then it's an indicator. This is probably sinful worry rather than godly concern. Paul Tripp has an excellent diagram that, that explains this. It's the circle of concern and the circle of responsibility. And oh, I've used this so often for myself. I've used this so often for other people. I use it for people who are struggling with anger, struggling with depression, struggling with worry, struggling in fear. It's helpful on a lot of levels for a lot of issues that we run into. And it's simply this. It's not that complicated. You're trying to think, am I trying to do too much? Am I trying to control too much? Am I trying to be a part of too much? And we live in a day that pushes us towards too much, do we not? Because here's what we're up against. You know too much. See, you can't try to control or worry about things you don't even know. But isn't it that we just know? Often I, I, I know I shouldn't, but we're guilty of this always thinking there was, a, there was a different day that was better. And here's my pastor fantasy. I just think, oh, in the day when Wesley rode horseback, he's going to the next city. There's no smartphone in his pocket telling him bad stuff. But he, hasn't, he can just write a hymn and sing and pray. He knows nothing until he gets there. He doesn't even know bad stuff that happened since he left. He doesn't know bad stuff that will be there when he gets there. He has this time. That's not the day we live in. It's like email for me is usually just an in-basket of horribleness. Right? It's just so easy. Bam, 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 bam. And we're very connected and you get lots of information fast. Well, then the danger is you know all this. You better be ready to sort out how much of this is my responsibility. How much is God calling me to do something about? Which part should I let go? What should I jump into? So am I doing too much? Circle of concern, circle of responsibility. This can be helpful. When I feel overwhelmed, and I do sometimes. When I feel like crying, and I do sometimes. When I just have this just blase, just heaviness sweep over me. I think, what is going on? I'll usually do this. I'll say, okay, okay, okay. All right, piece of paper. What have I been saying to myself? What have I been thinking? What is on my mind? And I'll just start putting them. Wherever I think they belong. Is, should that go in my circle of concern or should that go in my circle of responsibility? And I start sorting it out. Now, where it gets tricky is as a pastor, then you think, well, am I responsible to fix all the people that I know are broken? Or is it in my circle of concern? It can be, get a little dicey. But you don't have to be a pastor to struggle with this. Let me, let me give you for instance. In my circle of concern would be my 25-year-old that I've told you how... There's things about him I love. And it's exciting to see him mature and become an adult. And 
But there's still some things that's just like, oh, dear me, you never have a penny to your name. It's like I never taught you anything. I mean, I taught, you know, as a parent, you're just like, oh, I know money's a deal. I know people get screwed up on that. So my kids, I'm going to show them how to handle money, and I'll, I'll teach them a budget. And we had three peanut butter jars, and every time you do anything, whether you mow or shovel snow, you save 50%, you can spend 40%, you give to the church 10%. He spends it all. What happened to the peanut butter jars? Like, what? what? For family night one time, I took a whole paycheck and went to the bank and said, give it to me all in ones. And they had to call someone special, and it took two days, and they hate me. But I got this bag of ones, and then I've got all the little kids around the dining room table, and I had our budget. And I printed it up and handed it around, and and I said, all right, you know, the kids are like from 11 down to whatever. Okay, Harrison, you take out the house payment. That's $838. That takes a walk. Oh, okay, Kelly, now you take out the electric. It averages like 140. All right, Garrett, you take out the car insurance because you're not supposed to wait till it comes and say, oh, what are we going to do? You save ahead. It's coming. Happens every 30 days. That's $438. You take that out. Food, da, 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 da. We had like, I don't know, $3 sitting there. And I said, that's what's left to like go to Disney World. Because they were always saying, why can't we go to Disney World like everybody else? Why don't we have a jet ski? Why don't we, why don't we, why don't we? I said, this is what life is like. Plus, you know, I'm sure you've heard it. Two kids are always like, just go to the bank and use that machine and get money out. I said, the only money you get out is money you put in. What? (laughs) Now, I will say this. Since I've kind of said that about him. He doesn't use a credit card. Praise God. So, never has a penny, but he doesn't have debt. You're like, Dad, I, I, I remember what you always said. I remember what you always said. I'm not doing that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But man, hang on to some of it, son. So in my circle of concern is my 25-year-old son who says this girl is probably it and he thinks they're going to get married. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish you were handling your money better. Right? Is that my responsibility? No. My daughter, who's 17, who lives in my home, If I become aware of, oh my goodness, at 2 in the morning she's texting a really bad guy. I pick up her phone. I look at this. This is not good stuff being said. Whoo! Circle of concern or responsibility? Responsibility. I think you're getting it. It's not rocket science, but I'm telling you what? So helpful. So helpful. You just begin to sort it out because it guides you into where to put most of your energies. If you're out, here's what happens. If you're out there in the circle of concern trying to solve that and fix that and control that, you won't have what you need to address what's in your circle of responsibility that you are responsible for. Does this make sense? Because here's the deal. God doesn't give you grace to do what he hasn't called you to do. Oh. So you'll hear people like, you know, in a small group or with friends, you know, pray for me, pray for me, I just need God's grace, pray for me, I just, and, and you should, but there comes a point when you see someone just living, constantly redlining it, on the verge of being overwhelmed, a loving thing would be to sit with them privately, perhaps, and say, tell me what all you've, you're trying to do, what is going on in your life, almost always, you will hear, and should be able to help them, now that right there, you're more involved than you should be. That circle of concern, not responsibility. Now, sometimes they don't want to let go of it because they want to control the outcome. That's sin. And God won't give you grace to do. I'll say to people sometimes, look over your shoulder. If you see a cape in the wind, you might be in trouble. 
Because there are people that swoop. They're swoopers. Which gender usually swoops the most? Say it. Women. But listen, I'm not throwing you under the bus. Praise God. The reason you swoop so much is you care so much. You care. But you're going to have to watch out. It's, you don't, you're not supposed to be the Messiah for all your friends and your children and whoever. You're going to have to say, God, where are you calling me? What are my responsibilities? Some of this I'm going to have to put in my circle of concern and pray. Because here's where we're going next. What do we do once we sorted this out? If it's in your circle of concern, you trust God. If it's in your circle of responsibility, you obey you say, God, what should we do next? Let's make plans. What should we do? As long as my oldest daughter was in our home, I couldn't say, all right, we're just so done. Do whatever you want. I would have been sinning. So as long as she was in our home, which was difficult from 15 to 18, I said, as long as you're here, I love you. I'm going to get in your way. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from destroying yourself. Once she left our home, I prayed. But I told my sister-in-law one time, stop telling me where she is and what she's doing. So my sister-in-law is the queen of social media. I don't want to know, Sally. So she, she lives in Knoxville, and she's telling me where and over the Rhine Lauren was. Like, I, don't do that. Can I control that? You might try. I'm not driving into over the Rhine to look for her. And, she lives on her own now. I pray. I trust God. I seek to love her. But that's a different situation than the children that are in my home. When you begin to push your circle of responsibility out bigger than it should, you're not getting the grace that you need and you will probably be snared with worry and anxiety. Now, there are occasions where you'll see someone shrink their circle of responsibility and smaller than it should be. Which gender? Sorry, guys. Men. Men. It's like, you should actually care Like, get off the computer from that stupid airplane game and bathe somebody and balance the checkbook and actually have an awareness of what the bills are. Hello? Oh, let me me tell you a funny story. With this circle of concern and responsibility, I've used this many, many times, and people are helped. Stop me if I already told you. I don't remember where I told these things, but just raise your hand and say, Heard that. There was a new believer in our church. We were meeting at Dixie High School, and uh, they, they moved here from New York. So they, they were the stereotype, just like what they think of us, no teeth, barefoot. You know, we think, you know, going to talk that New York way. He had black hair swept back. His name's Vinny. I mean, there you go. And uh, she was really struggling with worry. She was a top research nurse in Cincinnati. Big deadlines, big demands, big pressures, and she got two teenage sons. Say no more plenty to worry about and she's struggling so Vicky and I meet with her in our basement we didn't have a building building at the time and I listened to her all that's going on and then I drew these things on the board little dry board and talked her through this and we started sorting it out everybody that you try to help doesn't need 16 sessions you'll see people that they just need some new direction and a frame it up in a different way and they get help she was that person you could see her get it like a plant that hasn't had water just perk up but then we didn't call her Sally. We weren't around her for, you know, we just didn't cross paths until one Sunday at Dixie High School. Vicky was in the bathroom when she was in the bathroom. And she said, oh, Sally, how are you doing? Brand new Christian. And she turns to Vicky and she says, oh, Vicky, honey, I'm doing so good. I'm just staying right there in my damn little circle. 
Just staying in my damn little circle. Well, all right, Sally. Way to go, girl. She was the same one that when I stood in the hallway, there was one way to get out of Dixie High School so I could see every person. You know, when you're a little church trying to get going, it's like, oh, visitor. And uh, so I'd shake hands with everybody, and she would grab my hand and just pump it and say, hell of a sermon. Hell of a sermon. (laughs) I was like, well. And she grew some more. She did. But man, she got this. Sometimes I hear her voice. I just need to stay in my circle. Get in your circle. Are you in your circle? Get in your circle. And seriously, when you start to think, I think I'm going to cry. I think I, I feel so overwhelmed. Before you cry out to everybody to pray and fast for you, get some time with the Lord and say, God, am I in my circle? Have I, have I started to try to fix and solve things that I should really just be praying? And tra- See, the hymn writer got it right with that trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We, if we had written it the way we actually try to live, it would be obey and obey. For you never want to trust God. You don't know what he'll do. You'd rather be in control. Here we go. <laughs> we actually don't like trusting God. Let's be honest. Right? You know how I know it? If in your circle of concern, the answer is to trust God and pray... Listen to the tone of voice, how this often sounds. There'll be a situation, we've worked on it, we've tried to do a few things, we've come to the end of our own resources and ideas, and someone will say, I guess we're just going to have to pray. Oh, has it come to that? Oh, dear me. We would never want to go there. Oh, my, no, tell me there's something else we can do. That's how our voices sound. It's an indictment. We just think it was better when there were things that we were doing now. We've just got to pray. We ought to say, let's pray. Let's see what God might do. You know what? On that one right there, we're going to trust God and pray. And everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna, can we do it now? You don't usually hear and sense energy from Christians when we go in that direction. They get fired up when there's a plan and it's things they're doing. Somebody say, ow. Hmm? When you shut down. Oh, well, when it starts to damage your body. Oh, if you worry enough and you're anxious enough, physical things can kick in, folks. Stomach issues, colitis, chest pains, all kinds of deals. When we were going through this with my oldest daughter and it was long, Vicky would call me regularly from Walmart. She's sitting on the floor and she's thinking she's having a heart attack. And we would go have her checked out. No heart attack. Stress. Stress. I would have moments where I I would stop mid-sentence. And I couldn't finish my sentence. And it felt like an arrow just went through the side of my head and out the other side. It hurt so bad. I thought, oh my goodness, I have a brain tumor. I just had an aneurysm. Something ruptured. Again, check it out. Nothing physically wrong with me. Stress. Stress. I went through two and a half years where I was losing my voice. And I'm like, what in the world? It's always felt like I had the emergency break on or I'd just done a week of youth camp, but I hadn't. And I went all around, you know, is it, is it acid reflux? No. Is it this? No, 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 no. Finally, some woman diagnosed I was reacting to the food I was eating, which was raw spinach and carrots and raw almonds and brown rice. This is good stuff. I try to eat healthy, but I'm like, why would my... And she said, well, are you under stress? I said, oh, tremendous. I mean, she said, 
When you're under prolonged, tremendous stress, your body, in trying to figure out why do I feel so bad, can determine it must be the food that you're eating and will react to it. And when I removed spinach and almonds and black beans and brown rice, my throat cleared up. She said, in time, you'll be able to eat them again. And now I do. Does horrible things to you folks, physical things. If it, if it starts to damage your body, if you start to lose hope, when you shut down and stop functioning, if you're curled up on the ball saying, mama, mama, that's a tip off. You probably went from concern to worry. And notice, I'm saying worry is sinful. Don't just treat it like we're so guilty of having certain sins that we're like, ah, you know, it's kind of garden variety, whatever. No, it's sin. It's sin. Sin is what you do when you're not satisfied in God. So it is an indicator you to some degree are not satisfied in God and how things are going or what you think he can do in trusting him. It's a, a statement about God as much as it is about you when you worry and you're anxious. You're trying to be God in many ways. I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And a worrier often is trying to get in the driver's seat and make things happen. C.J. Mahaney, in his excellent book, Humility, says, The humble are genuinely carefree. I've discovered how true that is about myself and my soul. Where there's worry, where there's anxiousness, pride is at the root of it. When I am experiencing anxiety, the root issue is that I'm trying to be self-sufficient. If I'm, act, I'm acting independent of God, what's the solution? Humble yourself, God says. How? Acknowledge your need for me. Cast your cares upon me and I'll transform you. I have to remember that whenever I feel buried under care, the real issue is pride and my self-sufficiency. I must deliberately and specifically cast my cares upon him and thereby Humble myself. Don't be mistaken. God hasn't gone anywhere. He's just as sovereign, just as good, just as faithful when I'm buried under care as he was. The issue isn't God. It's my pride that resists trusting in him through dependence upon him. You think about this verse that I got growing up in the church on my little coloring sheets early on. But they always jumped in with casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. There you go. Cast You really need verse 6. And there's a reason it's there. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, comma, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your care. Listen, until you humble yourself and acknowledge, I am not God. I am not adequate for all this. You are. You can't cast your cares. You'll hold on to it. Humility precedes trusting and releasing things into God's care. More and more, I'm convinced, we're jumping into verses too soon, and you need the context. You need the verse before. You need the verse after. You need the whole chapter. You need the whole book. It, It makes a huge difference. In Matthew 6, Jesus Christ addresses worry, and he forbids it three times. Jesus Christ addresses worry, and he forbids it three times in the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle Paul commands believers to be anxious for nothing in Philippians chapter 4. This is an issue that we struggle with. Jesus addressed it. The Apostle Paul addressed it. And Christ's teaching in Matthew 6 exposes two sinful roots of worry and the cure for each. Two sinful roots of worry and the cure for each we're going to dig into. 
Worry is idolatry, and the solution is repentance. Worry is idolatry because you are, you are making too much of something else, something other than God that you think is essential. Idolatry simply means to worship someone or something other than the true and living God. Might be your kids. And if you're worshiping them and your life is wrapped around them, then you're going to worry about it when it doesn't go well. It's one thing to make money. Nothing wrong with that. But you're going to worry about it if really you've built your world around money and money is your absolute security and all that you think it can do or what you think it will do in retirement. It's idolatry is giving yourself to some person, goal, ideal, concern, object rather than Christ. Putting your desires above God's desires. Allowing your concerns for the future to be more important than thinking and acting God's ways. Worry thrives when worship dies. Those two things are related. So one of the best ways to fight worry is not just to say, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's to ramp up worship. Because worship makes much of God. Worship is where you remind yourself of who God is and what He's done. Worshiping, stirring up worship is a great antidote to worry. It's very hard to do both at the same time. Worry magnifies the problem. You, you, you take it in your mind and you turn it from every angle and you just consider all the horrible possibilities. Whereas worship magnifies God. We've got too many Christians that have a big, fuzzy, generic, general concept of God. And the things that concern them the most, they've got details about that. That needs to change. Don't hear me saying stick your head in the sand, but ramp up the details of God. Turn him in your mind and all. learn more about him. Read more about the attributes of God. It would actually be a helpful exercise in fighting worry to cultivate knowing God more. Like a book by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, The Valley of Vision, A Collection of Puritan Prayers. Fantastic stuff to renew your mind. Someone once said, worry is a trickle of fear running through the mind, ever cutting a deeper gorge into which all thoughts are drained. Ooh, that's what it feels like. They just go there. My thoughts just go there now. Worry expresses idolatry in the heart because we tend to have an inordinate focus on things and goals and people. It's not wrong to think about stuff. and not wrong to have goals. not wrong to think about people. The key word there is inordinate. It's too much. Your entire focus is right here, right now. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. It can become anything. It can become your job. It could be your kids. It could be your money. It could be your health. It could be ministry. John Calvin said the heart is a factory of idols. Our sinful heart And it's the Christian heart that still does this. We just have a Christian spin on it. We just put a Christian version on it. Because you can say, well, 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 shouldn't we have a godly marriage? Yep. But you want it so badly, and you've turned it into an idol, and you're trying to get all your security and satisfaction and joy out of that. Now you're in trouble. And it's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing, but you've turned it into a God thing. Shouldn't we have godly kids, and shouldn't we work hard to train them and raise them, and isn't this important? Yep. But you've lost sight of anything else and your entire identity has become one mother 
and you've lost sight of child of God, friend, servant, wife, and this is my whole world now. Good thing just became God thing, and it's destructive when that happens. The things you worry about often reveal your idols. The things you worry about often, if you trace it back, there might be some idolatry back there, and that's why you worry about it so much. Let me give you some heart diagnostic questions you can ask yourself to know, all right, am I just enjoying this? Do I just see this as important? Or has it become idolatrous? Am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin to get this? Even if it's a good thing, but I'll sin to get it. Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? And do I run to it as a refuge? Food is not a sin. But food being a refuge to you, that's your comfort, your place of comfort. A hobby is not a sin, but if that's your refuge, then there's a problem. Books are not a sin. And I love to read and I still read today. But early in our marriage, books were a false refuge for me because I felt tapped out, stressed out with people. And when I went home, it was, a, it was a false refuge. If I opened a book, rule is don't talk to me. Well, that's sinful. I'm to engage in this home. So it can be a good thing, you might say. And, and I was so guilty of always saying, oh, I don't hunt, I don't fish, I don't play golf. Yeah, I'm in the home, but I'm not in the home. Jesus declared that you cannot serve God and something or someone else at the same time. You can't serve God and something or someone else at the same time. So a warrior needs to be called to repent of his false master, false gods, false refuges. So as you're helping yourself or someone who's struggling with this, ask good questions to try to figure out, okay, never mind giving them a quick verse, don't worry. Is there anything in your life that is out of balance, that there's something even good, that as you listen to them, you'll hear it. I had a counselee recently that, here's a tip off, you need to ask questions and listen. And every time I asked about his spiritual walk with the Lord and how it was going, and I wanted him to up the ante. I was wanting him to step it up. He would start talking about serving. Is serving a good thing? That was weak. Yes. But here's what I said to him. It sounds like you've made serving others. So see, do I wish more people would serve? Oh, yes. But could serving be done in the wrong way? He had made serving synonymous with his relationship with the Lord. And so that that's the only way I know I have a relationship with the Lord is when I'm serving. And he loved being loved in the midst of serving. And there were some things that needed to happen in the home. He didn't want to be at the home addressing that. He'd rather, but when you're digging a ditch and finishing a basement or doing something, it looks so good, but it still can be so wrong and idolatrous. But if you listen... You can pick up on some of this and you need to call them to repent. And I did. I called them to repent. Stop actually helping people so much. As odd as that would sound, right? Because you are fleeing what you really should be doing. All right? So it's, it has a root of idolatry where you've made too much of something. And that's why you're worrying about it. The other root is unbelief. Worry is unbelief. And the solution is faith. Jesus described worriers as people of little faith. And worry is simply the remaining fruit of unbelief and doubt in a Christian. Do we still have struggles with doubt and unbelief? Yes. Hebrews 3, the author, probably Paul, says, Be diligent and look out amongst yourself, lest there be any of you 
any of you that get tangled up in the sin of unbelief. You just don't believe God will work in this. You just don't believe God is on it and in it. The warrior should be helped to identify what is it that, that you're saying it's fine to want it and desire it, but I must. I must. Must have a boyfriend, must have a certain kind of husband, must have a boss, must have a... The fruit of repentance will be manifested by having faith in God, by disciplining your mind. And here's where Jesus goes in Matthew 6 as he tells this sermon and he's saying, don't worry. He points to the birds of the air and says, look, look how God takes care of them. Are you not more important than the birds... He points to the flower of the field and said, look at the glory and the beauty of that. And it's going to die in a few days. God's going to take care of you. You're not trusting God and God's promises. But really so often what fuels worry is what if. What if. And you play it out. It's almost like chess, only it's not a good idea regarding worry. This just happened. Two people at my husband's job were let go. He's in that same department. And you go five steps ahead on the little chessboard in your mind of where this is. And is it not true, folks, how many times we have spent so much time worrying something all the way out that never happens? All that energy could have been spent on something you do know that's in your circle of responsibility. What if? What if is best answered by not giving you a crystal ball so that you can see how it's going to turn out with your kids, how you see how it's going to turn out with your job? What if is best answered by what God did in the past? If he did that, he'll take care of you now. That's what Romans 8 is all about. If God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give you all things? He'll give you what you need. He'll give you a favorite phrase that I have that I got from John Piper's One of his books was living by faith in future grace. Living by faith. God, I'm going to right now in faith believe that when I get there, your grace will be there. I'm living by faith in future grace. This might sound silly. I've even started doing this with sermon prep because I am type A. I would feel better if it's done. And so sometimes I'm pressing on Wednesday and I want it done. I would feel better if it was done. But I've learned just go. Stop. Leave, don't stay here till 8 o'clock. Go to the gym, get on the treadmill. Trust God, and it's amazing. I've had like a dozen treadmill moments where it gets so much better in 30 minutes in my head, and I run to the front desk, and I'm like, oh, can I have a piece of paper? Hurry, 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 hurry. And I write the whole thing out, and I go home, and I say to Vicky, look at this. This happened on the treadmill. This is so much better. Whereas if I'd pressed in the flesh, it's not as good. But you gotta trust God. You've got to trust God. It's pleasing God by caring for today's responsibilities. Idolatry and unbelief of worry needs to be replaced by worship and faith. The answer to idolatry is worship. The answer to unbelief is faith. The warrior needs to be helped to worship more and trust God more. Worship more and trust God more and repent of the pride of trying to control and be self-sufficient. And notice where Paul goes. Paul in Philippians 4 walks us through this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer. So he says, you need right praying. Tell it to God. Tell it to God. You need right thinking. He talks about the mind there. And he goes on in verses 8 and 9. says, if there's anything, 
Here's the problem. When we're worrying, we're focusing on all the bad. There's almost always something you could be thankful for. And that's why he says if there's anything good, anything worthy, anything noteworthy, think on these things. It's not a stick your head in the sand. Because notice he's already said, pray about the scary part and think about any evidences of grace. What can you thank God for in this? Keep your mind there. And your mind will be, need to be disciplined I think David Pallison said this in his little booklet. The anxious mind parks in a lie. The trusting mind parks itself in the truth. That's why Isaiah 26, 3 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Oh, there would be nights that I would just, I would have to say, Oh, I'm parking my mind right here. I'm park-. I went through a season where I had a little booklet I made up of good verses and I would read one right before I went to bed. And I wanted that to be the last thing I thought. And I said, Satan, after I've used the bathroom and you decide that we're going to go at it, you can keep me awake all you want, but I am just going to rehearse and delight in and pick apart and think of this verse. I'm not going where you want me to go. So keep me up all night if you want, but I'm parking my mind here. In the daytime, I'm going to sit up with a piece of paper and work on solutions. In the dark, on my back, in bed, I'm parking my mind in a place of truth. Elizabeth Elliot has a great collection of some of her newsletters. And they put it together in a book called Keep a Quiet Heart. Oh, it's great. It's great. She's one of my favorite people. Really good stuff because here's someone... Who has suffered. Here's someone who knows about a few things that you could worry about. Oh man, she knew God and she knew her Bible. It's a great resource. Just like I pointed out for you in 1 Peter that we need to actually start with verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares. I grew up in the church and Philippians 6 was almost always quoted as Philippians 6. Be anxious for nothing. But okay. Isn't this interesting? Verse 5 says... The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Is it not true that a worrier is guilty of thinking, I'm orphaned. He's off somewhere else. He's not near. He's not good. He's not with me. There's where you start. Wait, the Lord is near. He's not abandoned me. He said he'd never leave me or forsake me. He's with me. He's in this. He's helping me. Now be anxious for nothing. Right praying, right thinking, Leads to right acting. Then the things which you've learned and received and heard, these do. God may show you what should you do now. And sometimes the answer is simply trust him. But there may be some things he shows you you should do in working on this. Right praying, right thinking, right acting. What about fear? This was put together in a simple true-false. So let's just run through it a little bit. But the solutions are very similar in helping a person that's snagged in fear. Fear, per se, is not wrong. Ooh, I'm sorry, what was that? I thought it was too false. What do you have in your notes? Does it just say that? Good. So fear is not wrong. You, a healthy sense of fear of a busy highway or a hot stove will serve you well. You just don't want it to rule you. In Scripture, Jesus is never said to be afraid. God warns us over 450 times, fear not. Must be one of our greatest propensities to be afraid genesis 3 10 is the first occurrence of fear that's where fear came in adam and eve began to run sin brought with it fear fear is a feeling of anxiety and agitation caused by the presence or nearness of danger fears that are right there's some good fears fear of god is right 
Fear of danger, fear due to guilt is right. Hopefully it'll lead to repentance. So fear is right and good when it moves us towards God and biblical behavior. For what it's worth also, just a little aside, in the Bible, the opposite of fear is not courage. What's the opposite of fear in the scriptures? Love. But here's why. Think about it. When you are fearful, you can't be loving if love is moving towards and giving and opening up and risking. Fearful person pulls back, shuts down, takes no risk. So God's word actually, when it talks about fear, says what you need to do to overcome fear is love some more. Love. 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out fear. What are some fears that are wrong? Fear of man. The Bible says, oh, that'll be a snare. Fear of things temporal, fear of things we cannot change. So fear is wrong and sinful when it is allowed to motivate our thinking and behavior in ways that are unbiblical. Keys to overcoming sinful fear. A lot of it's the same as what we saw with anxiousness and worry. Develop a strong God focus. Deal with guilt biblically. Very often people who are fearful have some unresolved, unreconciled, unconfessed sin sometimes. Develop love as the antidote. View fearful situations as opportunities to grow for God's glory and meditate, memorize key scriptures. All right, you have got the blessed lunch hour next. It's a good hour and 15 minutes, but as you go, I'm going to give away some free stuff and send you out on it. Since in this workshop on worry, one of the main points is that worry, one of its sinful roots is idolatry, I want to highlight and give you again the materials on gospel treason. So there is the book, but there's also sermons that go with it. There's also videos that go with it that actually say more than what is in the book. So I'm going to give a set to first person that raises their hand that you teach a Sunday school at your your church. Right back there standing, ball cap. All right, and I'll I'll give another set to anyone who... You're serving in your student ministry in your church. Over there against the wall. 